Hello, and welcome to the Box in One podcast, a podcast discussing sports and culture through the lens of the gospel. My name is John Richards, and I'm your co-host today, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chris Lassiter and Jeremy Hartman. Welcome to episode 10 of the Box in One podcast. I'm your co-host, John Richards, aka Jay Rich, and I'm here with my co-host, Jay Hart, and my boy, C. Lass, and we're hanging out. What up? In the lab, I'm about to go in on episode 10, where we'll t- discuss the NBA draft, Jesse Williams on BET, Justin Timberlake as well, uh, and our girl, Pat Summit. Thank you guys for joining us, and let's go ahead and get right to it. We'll start with the NBA draft, which happened last week, and we have a list of winners and losers each of us do that we think happened on draft night. And I think I can go ahead and start because I, I have some winners and losers that I think that you guys may not have, but we'll see. We'll see. So for me to start the night. Okay. Here's the thing. I'm going to, I'm going to start my losers with Deontay Davis's family. Okay. Oh, goodness. Deontay Davis of Michigan State sat in the green room and sat and sat all the way through the first round. I understand he was frustrated, but for some reason, his entire family decided we're going to get up and leave the draft and actually not complete the draft. Now, he gets drafted the first pick in the second round right after he leaves but he's nowhere to be found. Deontay Davis and your family, you're my draft. <laughs> now, <laughs> now for me, the winners of the draft, I'm going to have to go with the Minnesota Timberwolves. I really, really like them picking Chris Dunn. And I think he's going to be great in that backcourt. He's a great ball player. And I believe if Rubio stays, they may play both of them, but they also have a piece in Rubio that they can potentially move um, to continue to make that team young, exciting. I think if I had a league pass team to watch last year, for me, it was Milwaukee. This year is going to be Minnesota. I want to watch that team. So my draft day winners are going to be the Minnesota Timberwolves. What about you guys? What about you, C-Lass? All right, but did it? Haven't we seen this script before with a Michigan State player who was supposed to go in the first round and then slid in the draft? Like, haven't we? Like, isn't this fresh on anybody's mind? Like, why do they keep letting these Izzo players drop and then they just come into the league and get nothing but buckets? And I'm not really a Big Ten guy, to be honest. I'm in ACC country, much prefer that finesse style of basketball. Um, but I think I think everything fell, and I know Hartman will be hyped, but I think everything really fell the Lakers' way, where they didn't really have to make a decision on Ben Simmons. Um, Philadelphia went first, and then they got the player, Brandon, that they wanted the entire draft. And so I thought, um, I thought they were in a position where they couldn't mess it up. There were two players who were seen to be transcendent in this draft, and I think the Lakers got the one that they wanted, didn't have to pay first pick money. And um, it seems like they're still really far away, but he's definitely a piece. So I got him as 
um, the winner. And then I don't, I don't know, man, if I could just label this like part of the draft or just free agency and the draft. I'm closest in proximity to the Wizards, and I just don't know what they're doing. Like, I can't see the plan in place. <clears throat> there was optimism about two years ago when Paul Pierce was on the team. They were making a playoff run. All that, all that goodwill that they built up in the community just seems to have faded because the the direction of the franchise is just something no one can figure right now. What about you, Jay Hart? If I go winners, I'm gonna have to go with good old Buddy Heald from Oklahoma. Um, I think Buddy going to New Orleans is probably a great fit for them. Um, that's gonna give them a dynamic inside-outside combo with uh, the brow. Uh, I think Buddy's going to bring some much-needed shooting. Tyreek Evans, Drew Holiday, Eric Gordon, um, I don't think they're consistent enough, and I think Buddy's got the work ethic and the consistency to really make that work in New Orleans. I think that was a great fit for him and a great pick for them. So I'm going to give them my winner uh, grade. My loser, I'm going with Milwaukee. And for the simple, simple fact of, do we really know how old Thon Maker is? <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. That's where you were going. Uh, like, there's been so much that's come out in the last few days. Like, there's these yearbook posts that come out. Uh, there was a supposed letter that was dated, like, 2007 from the school in Australia that would indicate that he was a freshman. And now somebody has come out and released an expired passport that said he was really born later and would make him 19 for real. I like, I'm just not sure. Like, is that a risk you're willing to take? And the fact that, okay, what if he is 24? Does that mean for the last six years, he's been beating up on high school kids as a grown man? Wow. Like <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> like, is that a, is that a risk you want to take? Is, and I'm guessing Jason Kidd is okay with it, but if he pans out great, but if there's more to the story, uh, I can't see that ending in a positive way for Milwaukee. And for the record, so you think he's the oldest player on the Bucks? <laughs> wow, shade all over the podcast tonight. What's going on? For the record, though, Don Maker is Manute Bowl reincarnate. Mm. <laughs> That's his little nephew. Did anybody else used to have that poster with Manute Bowl and Muggsy Bogues? <laughs> <laughs> of course, man. Of course, the tale of two two heights. That's what it is. Hey, let's talk about free agency right quick, man, because I know that the period is going to start on Friday night of, of shooting this podcast or Thursday night at 12.01, but Friday morning. Um, and we got to talk about free agency because there's some huge names on the list this summer. We know that they're shipping Derrick Rose's knees to New York, um, separate from his body, apparently. Uh, and he's going to be a Nick now. And we also just found out that Joe Kim Noah is probably going to be signing with the Knicks, which some people think that might make them relevant. But we have a huge free agent who's taking meetings in the city of New York, and his name is KD Kevin Durant. And interestingly enough, which I thought would have been a no-brainer, he's not meeting with your Wizards, Chris Laster, geographically your Wizards. Um, he's only meeting with a few teams, and that includes my San Antonio Spurs. So what's the outlook for KD? What's the outlook in free agency as a whole? What do you guys think about this period? Has Westbrook at this point told him, yo, do what's best for you? 
because I'm doing what's best for me as soon as I hit. Like, does KD know that the Oklahoma City thing's about to blow up? Like, I don't know if it's so much that he doesn't want to play with Russ, that Russ has just kind of let it be known, hey, this is what I'm going to do at the end of it. So I'm just giving you a heads up. And Hartman, I'll let you speak to it, but if KD signs somewhere other than OKC, don't you as a small market have to immediately trade Westbrook and get back value? Or, or he's a free agent in the next summer and can sign wherever he wants, and then you just left with nothing? Like, could this be a domino thing? Um, you know, honestly, I don't think it's going to be a domino thing. Like, I think KD's going back to OKC. Um, you know, there's this theory out there that he's really taking meetings this year um, in preparation for next year. And I think he's going to do the one plus one with a player option contract with OKC so he can opt out again next year. Um, but, I mean, they got a good thing going. They just made a trade for Oladipo, which I think gives them more depth, um, gives them more steady bitch play, um, aside from your man, Dion Waiters. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I appreciate the fact that KD's taking his time. And he says it's going to be a basketball decision. But, I mean, what better decision is there than to go back to OKC? Like, they were on the cusp Uh-oh. of playing for a title I, this John year. John Richards got a decision. What? Let's hear it. What? Let's hear it, John Richards. Are, are you we serious? Know where this is going. Dude, are you serious? You want him to go back to the land of Russell Westbrook? The thing that frustrated him the most was the fact that he couldn't get out of OKC soon enough. Now he's a free agent. And he's taking meetings with all these teams. He's not doing this for his health, okay? He's seriously giving this consideration. And KD is not the one-on-one type guy. I don't think he's going to be that one-plus-one type guy. Like, if he gets a deal over the next five or six years, he's going to take it. I think so. And I'm just happy that my boys are going to be meeting with him (laughs) on Saturday. He's going to have a meeting with the homie, Tim Duncan. And with Greg Popovich, the one of the best coaches in the league, you know, KD's talked about Pop like he's been a big, big uncle for him. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to work out. We'd have to drop a bunch of players. But I do think he's given some serious consideration to teams like Boston, um, teams like the Spurs. And even, yeah, I hate to say it, even Golden State. He has a good relationship with Steph Curry. And... Who knows what he, he's going to do, but a lot of that's going to be, yeah, Russell Westbrook's a, a free agent next year, but I don't think Oladipo was enough to make him want to stay because they're not going to get over the hump next year, and he's trying to get titles, but he's not going about it the way that, uh-oh, LeBron did, which is oh. trying to join a super team. <laughs> but listen, how much difference is the recruiting pitch when you go to Carmelo's New Knicks pitch and Tim Duncan's Spurs pitch. Like, what are they doing with the, what are the Spurs? What What do you do if Tim Duncan is recruiting you? Like, what is that recruiting pitch? He He walks in the yes. room. Okay, like, here's like what are the here's the picture. Here's the picture for you. Okay, Chris, why did you even start down this path? <laughs> here's the picture for I had you. To. Tim walks in the room. <laughs> he sits down at the table. He holds his left hand up. There are five rings. With a plaid shirt and five <laughs> rings. There you go. He's wearing a plaid shirt, khakis, and some Air Force Ones. A backpack. He's, spon- he's sponsored by Adidas. Sorry. 
Tim Duncan. He got okay, some Yeezys. Here's what they're going to sell him on, okay? Culture. Spurs don't need to sell anything to anybody except culture. That's why your boy David West took a $10, 11000000 million hit to go to San Antonio. Are we going to get him? I don't know. But the pitch is going to be different because Melo's pitch is give me the ball. And Derrick Rose fell for it, as did your boy Noah, which is not going to work out. I don't think it's going to work out. So um, I didn't hear from UC last. Where's he going? I need your Golden prediction. State. Where's he going? He needs rings. That's all he needs left is rings. He goes to Golden State. He gets his rings. He can be famous out in the West Coast. And I think he's going to Golden State. I really do. Y'all heard it here first. See last. With I, don't, the I, don't, I think it'll cause friction. I don't think it'll be as great as they all thought it would be. I don't think the super teams are ever as good as people think they're going to be. I think you have to build teams like teams. I don't think you could just put great players together and they become a great team. You're right. I would agree with that. I would You're agree right. with that. No, I agree. This is one of the few times, if ever, that I'll ever mention <laughs> BET out of my mouth. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't watch BET. I don't. I don't even. I forgot I had BET on my cable package. But we got to talk about it because this week on BET, your boy Jesse Williams, a.k.a. one of the doctors from Grey's Anatomy, the one who looks like Tony Parker with green eyes, um, decided that he was going You're to. You're running out of Spurs references. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the last one. No, I got a couple more actually. So he decided that he was going to show up at the BET Awards and talk about Black Lives Matter, and he delivered a speech that made the internets go crazy. He basically ended the speech saying, "Just because we're magic doesn't mean that we're not real," and everybody went bananas. Including your boy Justin Timberlake, who isn't black, if you didn't know. And then black Twitter decided to remind Justin Timberlake that he was not black and that Jesse Williams' speech was actually about him and his privilege. You got to love black Twitter. But I think that what we want to actually start to talk about is Jesse Williams' speech as a whole and its impact on us. And I, and I know that. Um, you know, C-Lass wants to also elaborate on that a little bit. One of the things that when we started this podcast, I wanted to look through things through a gospel lens. And I saw so much reaction um, to this. But I think um, Epiphany Fellowship pastor, um, Dr. Eric Mason, really nailed it on his Facebook post the other day about this. I just wanted to read um, a piece of it. I won't read the whole thing. But he just says, people keep inferring that Christianity teaches a postponed, non-prophetic and pathetic hope. It bewilders me to see many Christ- that many see Christianity as apathetic towards impacting the issues of today. There are those who are escapist and non-committed to the comprehensive scope of the gospel, Bible and history, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then he goes on and shows throughout history and especially in black culture, how we've taken the gospel and it's led to change in social things, but it was based in the gospel. And I thought his post was right on because like so many times, it seems like um, the people who are standing up for justice issues are on one side of the fence and people who are standing up for the gospel 
kind of like take this view of like, yeah, this life's going to be awful now, but look at the hope we have. And he's saying like, no, that hope that you have has to lead to action in the future. So when I hear something like um, this BET speech, I want it to motivate me to look through social issues through a gospel lens and then get involved. So I thought, um, I thought the speech was important. I thought it started a good discussion, and I really appreciate Dr. Eric Mason kind of leading people to look through that through a gospel lens. Um, yeah, as far as Justin Timberlake, I kind of think I know where he was going with it, but I think um, it, it's nuanced because he really like didn't understand how that's going to come across to the people who are saying like, no, like you're getting rich off of appropriating culture. I don't know, have you guys heard um, Macklemore's song about that, where he talks about, like, he went to the Black Matter speech. He's like, should I raise my hand? Like, should I do this? Like, and then at the very end of the song, he just kind of goes into, look, I don't have to jump through the other hoops that hip hop artists have to go through. Like, suburban parents think I'm safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and they distinguish him between other rappers. I just think, um, like there are some nuanced things. I think uh, Macklemore actually did a better job of recognizing the nuances of doing something that's traditionally considered like a black man's art or a black person art. Um, whereas Justin Timberlake, um, I think what he was trying to say is like, shouldn't we all be equal? But he kind of missed the point when <laughs> you're the majority culture. It's kind of hard for you to be the person who comes out and say that. Yeah, I think that, uh, and that also just like in the backdrop in the you know, Christian writing space, I did see, and you sent me this article last week on TGC from uh, Micah Edmondson. And it was called, it was, Is Black Lives Matter the New Civil Rights Movement? And he kind of just, it was a presentation that he made um, at with the council members of the Gospel Coalition. And um, that brother went all the way in in terms of the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think that a lot of people had been distancing themselves from it um, just because, you know, they felt like the leaders of the movement weren't really gospel centered. And I think he just bought everything back to center, even with the article, with the way he wrote it. Um, He talked about how King himself had to go to a liberal uh, seminary in order for him to develop his um, ethos or, or ethic, social justice ethic, because conservative seminaries weren't really teaching it. So it can be an indictment against the church. Like, don't kick back on this social justice piece just because the leaders of the movement don't look like what you think they're supposed to look like um, in terms of Black Lives Matter. And I think it was really on point and just to kind of you know support what you said about um, what Eric Mason said, I think that, that that article is definitely helpful and we'll post that also in the um, show notes as well. So we really want to talk about one of the trailblazers for the women's basketball game. And not only just for women's basketball, but in sports general, in general. And that's Pat Summit. She uh, passed away this week on June 28th, 2016. She has eight NCAA titles. Uh Almost 1,100 career wins, 1,098, and she was just an amazing coach and an amazing person. So the lead question is, 
if you had a Mount Rushmore of sports pioneers, would Pat Summit be on that Mount Rushmore? Yeah. Harmon, you're the sports guy here. Where, where do we where who's on that Rushmore? I think there are many ways you can go with the Mount Rushmore, but just speaking on Pat in general, I think she's got to be on there just for, I mean, she pioneered basically women's basketball. Uh, I think if, if you saw any of the um, response from just the coaching community, from the basketball community at large, um, everybody was so, they paid their dues, paid their respects to Pat. And I mean, she was a trailblazer. Um, you know, and I think uh, somebody had posted on Twitter, like the picture of her letter when she accepted the job at Tennessee to be the women's basketball coach. And it was like for 250 bucks a month. Hmm. Like it was not like all glamorous. And, you know, women's basketball was really an afterthought. And Pat just kind of pushed it to the forefront. But I think people missed the fact that she was a basketball coach and how much she did for the game of basketball. Um, and I think she was just a great ambassador for people. Um, I read an article where there was a gentleman telling a story about how at one of her camps, um, his dad owned the pizza hut and they delivered pizzas and he was a kid. And like, she had asked him about his grades and he said, oh, I got some A's and B's. And she was like, do you think B's are acceptable? And he was like, no, ma'am, I don't. And he said, from that point forward, he made all A's. And he said, and then um, what happened was he ended up meeting her a few years later when he was in law school. And she said, haven't we met before? And he said, yes, ma'am. And he told her the story about delivering the pizza. She said, I guess you didn't get any more beef since you're here in law, in law school. So, um, you know, I just think the what she did for people in general, for the game in general, she has to be on that Mount Rushmore of sports pioneers. And um, my wife actually had the privilege I don't know if you call it the privilege of playing uh, <laughs> UT uh, in Knoxville, but she, you know, she told the stories about how when they ran out of the tunnel, it was the sea of orange and just the passion and pride those people took in it and um, just how intense Pat Summit was. And Aaron, my wife, Aaron had even said after the game, um, she made a comment about some of the kids on their team. Um, just about how well they played and how hard they played and, and gave pointers and um, you know everything that you hear about Pat is just it's been good stuff and she would be sorely missed for me because I spent a lot of time reading her materials I spent a lot of time trying to formulate my coaching philosophy when coaching women um, based on what she did um, and how she treated people um, so you know for me it, it, it holds a special place in my heart and I, so I think she's on that Mount Rushmore. And shout out to you as a husband for not putting the score of that game when your wife played against Tennessee <laughs> in the podcast. Yo. So shout out to Jay Hart. That's good. In 15 years of marriage, he's learned some things. I think she still has, you know, a little bit of animosity toward it. When you know, the, the one thing I always hear is like, and you know, my wife's five ten, almost five eleven, and she's like, their point guard was bigger than me. <laughs> mm. Um. You know, so and that's when they had holds claw and, you know, catchings. They were they were really, really, really good. So. So, John Richards, the part of the story you may not know, if I'm if I'm telling this story correct, Jay Hart, your wife's team at Liberty University and Tennessee were the only two undefeated. And they put them against each other in the first round as a one and a 16 seed. Wow. 
They wow. put no respect my on wife, Liberty's name. No respect. Yeah, there was no respect. Does and my still, wife is still bitter to this day. Does she still have the box score? Oh, uh, I, know I the think box she has score. it somewhere. I know what it was. <laughs> I can get within four points of what the actual score was, but I'm going to let Hartman chill. Okay, y'all going to have to tell me the box <laughs> score off air. So Hartman is not uh, sleeping the on the couch. Sleeping on the couch tonight. <laughs> so I, I also would say yes. Like I debated, I was thinking about it, like, oh, Billy Jean King, Althea Gibson, but there's no way that, that Pat Summit would not be on that Mount Rushmore. And interestingly enough, like, hey, we have one minority there, because I think all of us will agree Jackie Robinson's on there. And then we have Pat Summit on there, uh, who's a woman. This is like gospel. Like having a community on a Mount Rushmore of sports that that's diverse and doesn't look all uh, European, so to speak. <laughs> the so, church at Antioch. <laughs> it is. The We're going to replace the Mount Rushmore with the Church of Antioch of sports. There you go. All right. There you go. Who else is going on that list? We're going to chisel them out. Who else is on the list? So we're, we're going to have to talk about who the other two faces on that Mount Rushmore are. Um, but we definitely want to make sure that we cover this next topic um, in enough detail because it is an amazing moment in sports and we don't want to um, miss it. So this segment is called the sorry we missed that segment, right? Where we right. look at some sports events that happened pre-podcast that, doggone it, we wish we would have caught during the podcast because we surely would have discussed it. We might have discussed this one probably about three weeks in a row because in 2000, in the Sydney Olympics, half man, half amazing, Vince Carter decides that, hey, I'm going to jump over a seven-footer and bang on his head. And dunk on him. Now, we all knew that Vince Carter was an amazing dunker, like won the dunk contest. But when he did that, that probably solidified his place as the best dunker of all time. But the question is, is that dunk the greatest Olympic moment for a basketball team, for a USA basketball team? Hey, John Richards. Here's what I need y'all to do. We got to back this whole conversation up a minute. But because before the Vince Carter dunk, my man gets the ball and he is in the backcourt underneath the basket and he tries to outlet the ball with a behind the back bounce pass towards midcourt. And that's the pass that actually Vince Carter steals. So he set his man up for the ultimate failure. So not only do we have the best dunk ever, we have the worst outlet pass ever in the history of basketball, then followed up by uh, KG with the best celebratory push in the history of basketball. So we have three best evers all in one short sequence, which I think makes it the best scenario of basketball ever. Could that be anybody else but KG, though, like for the push, like anybody else on that team? Who was mad enough or mean enough to do that to have that celebratory push? Not on that team. Like it had to be him. Had to. And, and like the mean mug that he had on his face was like he was out Epic. for blood. Epic. <laughs> Epic. So yes. Best 
outlet past ever or worst ever. <laughs> that was horrible. You're right, but it set up this play. So I, I appreciate whoever that player was who's not making any money right now um, for doing what he did because he set us up for this moment. Now, I'm trying to watch know, it without laughing. You can't watch it without laughing. It's impossible. Not at all. But is this the greatest moment? That's what I need to know. The only memory I remember from the Dream Team was um, Barkley throwing the elbow. That is literally, I think Bird hitting the three-pointer in their first scrimmage and um, the elbow that Barkley threw. I don't remember any specific Dream Team moment. So you would say that is the greatest moment. What about you, Jay Hart? Man, that's a tough one because... Like I remember watching the Dream Team, and I just I was so thankful because, of course, I'm a Lakers fan, and Magic was back. Magic and Larry Bird and Mike on the same team, um, but I don't remember any other like great moments besides the dunk and like poor Frederick Weiss, like that like ruined his career. He got drafted by the Knicks. Like Vince Carter ended the man's career. Like I think he went into basketball purgatory after that. <laughs> you can't have him as a teammate after that. You really can't. Like yeah. you can't be my teammate after that happens. It's it's sort of like um, your boy being in the body issue for ESPN mag the magazine. <laughs> like we're gonna clown we're gonna clown you in the locker room after that. Sorry, that's not gonna happen. I do have one moment, though. I got to talk about this moment, guys, because I don't know, man. This might be, but you have to know about the moment in order for you to consider it one of the greatest moments. And we've talked about this before. I'm talking about USA versus Croatia. <laughs> it wasn't like a moment. It was, like it, was, game. it was an entire eternity for this guy, but it was a great, great moment for me, for us, because, well, for me as a defender, I love to see that. I don't really like Jordan or Pippen, but they decided that Hold they up. were going to. You think we just going to let that slide on the podcast? Did you say you don't like Jordan I'm, or Pippen? Listen, <laughs> you can you can let it slide. You can let it go wherever you want to go. I don't like Jordan. He's Kobe before Kobe, so I don't know why that sounds like why that is even surprising to you. It shouldn't be surprising. I was hoping that all the teams they played would beat them in the finals, including the Jazz. Yes. So, um, as I was saying, Jordan and Pippen straight shut down Tony Kukoc in the game versus Croatia, and it made it a great moment because they did a documentary on it, and the entire USA team was like, they just did Tony wrong. Like, that could have ended Tony's career. Thankfully, they kind of welcomed him in Chicago after that. But basically, before he left foot in Croatia, both of them let him know, hey, we're alpha dogs over here. You're going to be a support guy. And we're supposed to be making all the money, Pippen, who wanted extra money, but Kraus wouldn't give him extra money because he was trying to get Kukoc. So he was like, all right, I'll take it out on Kukoc. And that entire game, they hounded him. I'm not sure how many points he wound up with, but I remember that as a great moment now just because they they memorialized it in the documentary. And I was like, oh, that's why they were trying so hard. Like from the first play in the game, it was full court defense, dude. But it's not a, the whole game. The Vince Carter thing could be a vine. I got a, listen, I have a 48-minute vine. Sorry. 
<laughs> but I, if I have listen, if you push me on it, yes. Vince Carter jumping over a seven footer doing something that only one human being on this earth probably can do is probably the greatest basketball moment. But I had to mention the USA Croatia game because that was just all types of wrong, petty, and shade thrown everywhere. So I had to go there. Had to go there. Why you don't like Jordan though? Oh man, that's another podcast, dude. <laughs> That, that's, that's hey, a complete Cartman, mark that down. We please mark that down. This. Write it down. We'll have a Jordan edition and, podcast. We can talk about everything hey, from Space Jam and we gotta figure, to, to the baseball. Like better though, right? As a player, you don't like LeBron better though, right? I do. Yes. All right. Look. Wow. It was just this. like listen. It was, it was just like we had a funeral for Jay Rich and his sports fandom. It was in just Look. one moment. He was like, oh. Oh. But hold on, Jay Rich, I got your back there because I'm going to admit something. I, I did not like Jordan for a long, long time. Like it was not toward, not until really toward the end of his career where I started to appreciate all that he had done. I was a Magic Johnson guy. Like, and I just, I love the way Magic played and I hated Jordan. My dad hated Jordan. So it was kind of like, I understand where you're coming from, Jay Rich. But I appreciate his greatness now, though. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. See, I appreciate you, man. My love shown from Jay Hart today. Yeah, my mom was a Pistons fan. She was? She's good people then. <laughs> oh, here we go. She last week. We'll get you right. Hey, we'll get coming you back right. to that on the podcast. Keep us moving, but we coming back to that topic. All right, man. So we're, we're going to head. the LeBron Jordan debate. We will. So we're going to head into the what we're reading, what we're listening to segment where we share resources with you all over uh, the past week and what we've been reading, what we've been listening to. And, uh, you know, hopefully you guys will be able to check them out and they will bless you as much as they blessed us. So, Jay Hart, what you've been reading, what you've been listening to? Um, really, what I've been reading lately has just been anything about Pat Summit. Um, just refreshing my memory about, you know, everything that has gone on. So it's not really, um, you know, based on the gospel per se, but inspirational. Yes. Uh, I think you can take a lot of leadership lessons out of her life. So I spent a lot of time reading that stuff. And um, I just think it does kind of put into perspective how much you can affect the world, basically. Um, with what you do um, and letting your light shine and, and being a positive influence on people. Um, so I've been reading that. What I'm listening to is really, I haven't been listening to anything as crazy as that sounds like in the car. I don't even put music on anymore. Like I've really just been on this stuff. Like I'm just going to just be, um, and it's really helped me kind of get some clarity with uh, things that are going on and my thoughts with the Lord. So um, it's, you could say I've drowned out all the noise and just kind of mellowed out there. So that's that's what I'm up to. Good stuff. I hate Brother Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> See, Lance? Yo, for me, all right, so I was on vacation with the family. Shout out to the family. Um, extended family. Um, and I said I'm not taking any deep theological course dense books with me to try to read on a beach. So I grabbed a couple of books that were super easy to read. I read um, 
Thistle's autobiography, Against All Odds. I read the book about the Dream Team. And I read Lecrae's book. And there were a couple of things in Lecrae's book that really struck out, like stuck out to me. One of them that was most significant to me was he got invited into a Sacramento Kings practice. And he said, like, just because of the way he was introduced, like, walls just automatically went up. And, like, and it just it put into perspective, like, thoughts to me about, like, the whole Christian rapper, rapper who's Christian label thing. And I think um, what we all want to do is have as much influence for the gospel as we want. And I still say, like, I wouldn't do everything the way Lecrae did it maybe phrase it the way he said it, but it really gave me insight into like what he was trying to navigate. So I thought that was like really cool just to see like the frustration of wanting to be a light for the gospel, but just like, just because of how you're introduced, like that door already being shut. So the book was good. I'd recommend it. Super easy to read. I probably read it in like before, before low tide even hit at the beach. So uh, probably like an hour and a half. (laughs) You know, wow. my brother ain't trying to be out there too long. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a good book. Um, what I'm listening to, um, nothing new musically either yet. So um, I, I don't know. Like I don't, I haven't nothing new to update on the music front that's really caught me yet. So okay. what about you, Jay Rich? So I've been reading. Um, so I'm teaching a class on the Psalms. So I've been very deep in a lot of psalms commentaries um and books but one of the ones that really is a good devotional short read is tim keller's the songs of jesus um he broke up all the psalms into like 365 devotionals and you know keller's just keller you know he crushes it on the writing end so i would definitely uh commend that to anyone who's interested in diving into the Psalms, which, you know, can be a hard read for a lot of people in terms of, you know, authorship and trying to figure out what certain words mean. Um, it's definitely a good book to read in a devotional sense to see what, what the application could be personally for you. Um, the other thing I've been listening to is an older album called City Point Live, which is a a uh, contemporary Christian group um, or worship band that I definitely is one of my go-to albums for worship. So the City Point Live album uh, is called Hope is Erupting, and it's a good album. So I would commend it to anyone, too. So that's what I've been reading, and that's what I've been listening to. And What about imprecatory psalms? How you be teaching them? How do I teach the imprecatory psalms? Imprecatory psalms. S- where they be flexing on people in their prayer life. So how I teach those is I just take them to the Lakers highlights <laughs> and let them wow. see how <laughs> it is to be cursed with a curse and how God gets vengeance eventually. And you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. <laughs> you you never pass up an opportunity to take shots hey, at the Lakers. We got time for one more question real fast. 30 seconds. What's that? Nick Young, he was he was right or wrong for that commercial. <laughs> what for saying real funny? When he threw the phone out. <laughs> you yeah. talking about Russell? So Jay Rich, you ain't see the commercial? You talking about Nick? Russell? Yes. 
Oh, you said Nick Young. Was Nick Young in it? No, he wasn't in it, but he had the no. tweet that said really, real funny afterwards, after the commercial showed. Oh, Nick Young tweeted? So, Russell, is he right or wrong for that commercial? Oh, Russell? Man, Russell's trying to get them checks. Listen, I ain't mad at you for getting them checks. And it was funny. I think, you know, you got to be able to laugh <laughs> at yourself when you do something that crazy. Like, when you call your teammate out and you jack up the entire locker room, I do the commercial. Can you make a commercial about it later? Can you make a commercial yep. about that situation later? He needs yep. to do- he needs to donate to the Nick Young Bachelor Fund. Make all donations there. <laughs> Give all, all his money from this commercial. <laughs> all proceeds <laughs> go to the Nick Young Find a Wife Fund. Oh man. And Nick Young need to stay away from anything that got cameras because Iggy was already tweeting the day. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Nick Young. Poor Lakers. It's all right, Jay Hart. <laughs> We're good, man. We're good. Two Lakers references, man. I tried to balance out the Spurs references. Did you see that? All right. That's been episode 10 of the Boxing One podcast, where we discuss Christ, sports, and culture through the lens of the gospel. Make sure you head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, give us some ratings and some reviews. And also check out our Twitter at Boxing One Podcast. We definitely look forward to seeing you all next week for episode 11. Thanks for all the love. See you next week. Peace out.